I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Well, if the prosecutors are full of shit, you must acquit. It's high noon for Monday, February 15th, 2021. Happy Valentine's Day from yesterday. Happy President's Day to Donald Trump, the president, and not to anyone else alive. Today is the 26th full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party and willing to do whatever they say, even if he destroys the United States of America, because what does he care? Joe's a commie. He's also the patriarch of one of the country's worst families and the father of one of the most despicable sons anyone could ever imagine having. The kind of kid that as a parent, the only thing you think throughout your entire life is how did I get this so wrong? So congratulations, America. What totally unimpeachable judgment at least 30% of you had on November 3rd. Now, I forgot to say where you can follow the podcast, but I'm going to pretend that I did it strategically, and here's why. Because Parler is back today. So you can follow the podcast on Parler at I'm Your Moderator. And, you know, Parler's not fully back yet. I think it's just totally overloaded, but I think it'll probably be good by the end of today, definitely by the end of this week. And then we go right back to having those types of conversations with just slightly less free speech. So, a disaster? I guess we'll see. You can also follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash be reasonable discussion. I'm also on Gab at I'm your moderator. And that's probably enough for today. So, as I said, Parlor's back. Awesome. I guess they got on some different servers. They've changed their policies a little bit. Uh, I guess we have to see, wait and see what their enforcement is actually like and how extreme they go. The language in these policies is always written with so much left to interpretation that you'd really never know. I just, uh, I did Jamie Kennedy, the uh, actor and comedian. I did his podcast last Monday. I expect it'll be out sometime this week. But one of the things we talked about was hate speech. And I said, you know, like, I think that almost everybody in the world has no tolerance for that and they don't want to hear it. But the problem arises when you're defining what constitutes hate speech and what doesn't. And with the way the left is today, pretty much anything they don't like, they can spin into hate speech. Like that's part of the point of critical race theory. You have to figure out in every situation where the oppression is. It's like these kids all went to college and their degree was in where's Waldo? Where's oppression? I wonder what oppression would look like in a where's Waldo cartoon. Probably look like Nancy Pelosi at the hair salon. Where's Nancy Pelosi at the hair salon? That would be an amazing puzzle book for fans of Where's Waldo who aren't sure whether Where's Waldo 
is too white. And also wears the shirt of a Frenchman. So as I record this, Andrew Cuomo is giving or perhaps finishing by now a press conference where he spent the first 45 minutes going through COVID statistics and talking about how great the subways were because they're very clean, even though reports out of New York City are saying that the crime in the subways has gone up so much that people are afraid to use them. So that's good. Right back to the, uh, what, the late 80s, early 90s? Very strong, very strong move, Cuomo. Very strong move, de Blasio. You have set that city back a good 25 years. Congratulations again to the commies. Always making shit terrible for everyone but their friends. For more on what Andrew Cuomo is embroiled in, listen to my episode on Friday. I talked about it for like the first 20 minutes or so. But he is in a lot of trouble politically now because his administration intentionally withheld COVID data from the representatives in New York, the state government, including the Democrats, and he withheld them from the U.S. Department of Justice, and his aide admitted flat out on leaked audio of a conference call that they did it intentionally. So Cuomo is trying to reframe all of that as you know, what he did was the the perfect response. He didn't do anything wrong whatsoever as far as nursing homes go, as far as withholding data goes. And of course, he made no mistakes in policy. But like Ted Lieu last week, he accidentally spoke the truth. And it's it's pretty astounding. He said, if we made these decisions by polls, none of them would get made. And this is what the left interprets as political bravery. The idea that standing up to your own constituents is a mark of courage and moral conviction. That's not what happened here at all. Andrew Cuomo's actions were extraordinarily immoral and may well be a crime. And there is going to be an investigation, and he will be found guilty so long as Joe Biden's not still president, because he is guilty. Andrew Cuomo is a raging asshole. He's one of the worst people in public office in our lifetimes. But he gets away with it. And not only does he get away with it, the media supports him. He couldn't have done anything wrong just based on who he is. I mean, you know, his brother Fredo is on CNN and people think he's, you know, cute, a straight shooter. What? I don't understand the attraction to these people. Don Lemon just makes you feel good. He gives you the feels. Don Lemon is a vibe. What is it? Andrew Cuomo is trying to now reshape a narrative that he is not prepared to fend off. And I don't think it's going anywhere because New Yorkers in particular have a real reason to be angry at this. He deceived them. He lied about it. He covered that up. And then once all that was exposed, he's lying about it again. People died because of his decisions. And that's true of all the Democrats and everyone aligned with those COVID mitigations stemming from Dr. Fauci, who, by the way, today just won a million dollar prize for his contributions to science and apparently truth telling. That's amazing. You have to think that Americans are pretty fucking dumb to imagine that the federal government's 
highest paid employee should be eligible for million dollar prizes based on the job he's doing as a government employee. Normally that sounds like money laundering or the purchase of political influence. But it can't be that because Anthony Fauci is a great guy and very expert. TMZ actually writes up this story in just glowing terms. Now, his million dollar cash prize was from the Dan David Foundation, an Israeli nonprofit that funds and advocates for breakthroughs in science and technology. Now, Anthony Fauci has not had any of those, certainly not in the last year, unless double masking counts as a uh, scientific breakthrough or a technological breakthrough. I mean, I guess you could say that that's technology being like, hey, if one mask isn't working well enough, you know what would? Two masks. How well does the first one work? Zero percent. So if you double it, how much is that? Oh, it's still zero percent. Okay. Now, the CDC actually did release double masking guidelines. The second mask, apparently, is there to make sure that the first mask seals to your face. So I guess the thing that I've been saying since last May, and I'm not saying it was a genius insight, I just simply read about how masks work. The thing that I was saying that these masks aren't sealed to your face, like not only are the viral particles too small to actually be stopped by a mask, it also just gets out the sides and everywhere else. The masks literally don't do anything except for maybe like Fauci used to say, catch a droplet. Like if you sneezed, just snot at someone, the mask would stop that. But if you're in a condition where you're sneezing snot, don't be around people. That's the easiest possible solution in the world. And that's exactly what we used to do with the flu and the cold, both of which are in every way comparable to COVID-19. Colds are coronaviruses, and the flu has the same death rate. We've never worn masks for either, but now we have to wear two masks for all of them forever. But back to Andrew Cuomo. You know, for me, I've talked about this a million times and don't mean to rehash my own story. I woke up to all this stuff when COVID happened because all of a sudden I realized by doing the research first that the stuff I was hearing on the news was just dead wrong. And so I listened more and more intently and then I listened to what Trump said. And it turned out that Trump was saying all the COVID facts that I had already researched and found out on my own that the news was not saying. They instead were focused on cases, cases based on faulty tests, cases that weren't going to be transmissible to anyone, AKA shit that doesn't matter at all. And that was the entirety of their argument. They would say a bunch of shit that doesn't matter at all to make it sound scary. And then they would tell you that if you didn't go along with it, you were responsible for death. That's what it was. But the point is that I woke up because there was something real that was right in my face. You know, they're shutting down the city. They're making it impossible for all sorts of people to work. And they plan on doing it forever because they have now told everybody that the only way you can be moral is if your goal is to somehow end death. Well, that's not possible. So anyone promoting that as a goal 
is automatically wrong and automatically lying. That's not how life works. And once I internalized that, it allowed me to seek out all the other facts about all the other things I had been thinking the same way about. Now, this is one of those moments. And so is the recall of Gavin Newsom. Cuomo's narrative has already gone national. People know it exists. They're reading the articles. If they're reading what his aide, Melissa DeRosa, said, there's no question about the corruption there. You can read it right in her quotes. So hopefully people are seeing that, but you kind of doubt it because that's not the thing that's going to pop up on your Apple News notifications or at the top of Yahoo News or AOL, (laughs) if you're on there. But it is in the New York Post. And so that's enough for at least the thematic elements of the narrative to break in to the central narrative. And once that Cuomo story breaks into the central narrative in full, CNN will lose credibility because they have his jackass brother covering for him every night. Andrew Cuomo will lose credibility because he was given a fucking Emmy by a bunch of Hollywood communist morons. He was held up as some godlike figure the way the American president should be, but instead we have the guy who's the absolute worst. He sounds like he's lying while he's telling the truth, but Cuomo sounds like he's telling the truth while he's lying. And that's really what we identify with because we want to know that our world is exactly how we believe it to be. Once that narrative reaches critical mass, It will be undeniable. People are going to look stupid for having supported him. Now, I'm not saying everybody's going to look stupid all at once and everybody's going to know it all at once. That's not what I'm saying. This stuff does take time. But there will be enough people out there who see this and are like, you know what? I kind of always felt like something was wrong with that guy. Like, I'm not saying I knew that he was doing a bad job, but he was getting a little too much credit. People will have that thought. People will read the story and they'll understand that they were lied to. And then they will move in our direction. That's how it works. Not always on the timelines we want, not on my timeline, not on your timeline, but it does happen. And things aren't moving in the other way, in the other direction. And they will not move in that direction unless we really get to the point where voices like mine, people like me, And Trump supporters in general are rounded up. And we hope that we don't reach that point. But anyone who trusts these Democrats not to do that is crazy. So the solution is make sure that people's opinions change the right way. And the right way is by getting this information in their faces And when they're shocked to read it, you say, yeah, you know, honestly, I've known that for seven months. I've known that for 10 months. I tried to tell you. All of us tried to tell you. And that's it. And that allows people the space to change their minds. Because they don't want to be alone. Most people don't have any intellectual courage or moral courage. They go along to get along. And that's it. They will not speak until it's safe. Our job is to make them safe. Okay? And I'm not talking about the commie commies and the Obamis and Romneys. I'm talking about the redeemable commies. People who just, people who will eventually really, really regret having voted for Joe Biden. Those people. Because they're going to know the truth one day or another. It's basically either everyone, but, you know, about four to six percent who are lost forever, but everyone else knowing the truth or 
full-on Nazi America, led by people like Anthony Fauci, who are engaged in really nothing more than scientific racism and eugenics. That's what's happening here. It's no different than what got defeated 70 years ago. This is the leftovers from that. These people's ethic is no different. Look at the number of anti-scientific decisions they made that affected and destroyed people's lives while calling it science. Are we going to say, are we going to pretend that their mitigation strategies weren't targeted? Of course they were targeted. They were targeted exactly. In the face of overwhelming science, right now, the teachers unions are still trying not to go back to work. Does it seem like they care about your kid's future? Of course they don't. The teachers unions are entirely corrupted, as basically all unions are. And this isn't about union or not union. I'm saying that the unions that exist in this world right now are corrupt and it's obvious. It's not a principled argument about the good or ill of unions. It's a simple statement that these unions are corrupt, period. We don't need the other conversation to figure out whether or not these unions are corrupt. None of it is science. Likewise, it wasn't science when Gavin decided to shut down hospitals to elective surgeries and to make it difficult to get cancer screenings. So much avoidable death could have been prevented by them actually looking at the science and not simply enforcing policies that they had already decided on in advance. Lying about the data. Hey, Gavin, where is the review of December deaths? On April 22nd, 2020, Gavin Newsom called for a coroner's investigation of all the deaths in December to see if any of them were COVID. Right there, we would have immediately known on April 22nd that the coronavirus had already been in the country for three and a half months at least before any mitigation whatsoever. We lived with the virus with no mitigation for at minimum three and a half months. And truthfully, since lockdowns and masks also are not mitigation, they're just called mitigation, they don't have a function. We've really lived without mitigation the entire time. Their mitigation tactics have had no positive benefit. None. Closing schools didn't help. Locking down didn't help. Masks didn't help. Closing some stores and not other stores didn't help. Hydroxychloroquine would have helped. A real vaccine might have helped. This one doesn't seem to be helping. But of course, they'll have studies. They'll have studies where they give the vaccine to people who likely weren't going to get coronavirus in the first place and likely weren't going to have any severe problems in the first place. And then they tell us that it was a success because those people don't get COVID and don't have severe problems. Well, no shit. And before we get more into California, let's remember a former Californian, the fake vice president, Kamala Harris. She was on an 
uh, HBO Axios interview last night where she said there was no national strategy or plan for vaccinations. We were leaving it to the states and local leaders to try and figure it out. In many ways, we are starting from scratch on something that's been raging for almost an entire year. But Fauci, just three weeks ago, said, literally, in these words, we certainly are not starting from scratch because there is activity going on in the distribution. So is Kamala Harris disagreeing with Anthony Fauci? Is she trying to make him look like a fool? Or is she trying to make herself look like a fool? Or it's possible that both of them are fools. Oh, that, that is in fact the right answer. So in California, Governor Gavin Newsom is well on his way to being recalled. There is a full month left for signature gathering and they are already at the number of signatures needed for Gavin to be recalled. Now, there is some concern from the recall side of things that they will be using signature verification for all the signatures on the petitions. I wonder if they'll try to figure out if any illegal immigrants signed their name to the Gavin Newsom recall and what they'll do about that if so. But California is basically making sure to use signature checks for the recall petition. That's something they don't do for general elections. And that's something that the federal government now under Nancy Pelosi's control, they're trying to make it so that there can be no signature checks anywhere. Anybody can just arrive at the polls on voting day, tell the person at the poll who they are, and then vote. No ID, no signature, no nothing. Name and address, vote. That's it. That's comically stupid. So the recall effort is trying to get about another 400 or 500,000 signatures in the next four weeks. And it sounds like they're on pace to do that. But the idea that they might need 2 million votes to get 1.5 million votes because the Democrats in California are going to try to disqualify a third of the signatures. Well, a quarter, obviously, if if they get 2 million, but that's preposterous. We've just been told that you're not allowed to do that. And that even questioning that sort of system, by the way, the recall petition system is much stricter than our actual voting system. And I held a recall signing late last summer in Los Angeles. It is a process. You have to do the signatures. Each person's signature has to be done in a certain format on the right sheet from the right county. There are a lot of particulars there. Gavin's going to try to get those signatures thrown out. The DNC, I'm sure, and California's Democratic Party, for sure, are going to spend money to try to make sure that Gavin can't be recalled by the state that clearly wants to recall him. Now, I think we're going to be successful on that recall drive no matter what. I think he's going to have to face a recall. When that happens, like the Cuomo thing, this will become national news. It can't not. And hopefully, what we will see is a Republican candidate in California who is MAGA, hopefully Rick Grinnell, who's considering it. And on the back of that, get Donald Trump into California to campaign. Then there's absolutely no chance in the world that the mainstream media can ignore the fact that their one favorite governor is a criminal 
who has more blood on his hands for coronavirus than anyone else in this country aside from Anthony Fauci. And their other great Democrat hero is so loathed in his own state, the state that we imagine is the smartest and best and so far ahead of everything. By the way, it's not. California is one of the most corrupt places in the world and filled with just a titanic full of absolute morons who actually have real power and influence in this state, which is a huge problem. It's bad for a state to be run by famous people. That's a terrible idea. Most people are famous because they're attention whores. Some people are famous for good reasons. Tom Brady is famous for very good reasons. He's excellent at what he does. Alyssa Milano is famous because she was the third or fourth lead on a sitcom 35 years ago. And now she tells us what we're supposed to think about politics. That is basically how California runs in a nutshell. But the important thing here is these will become national stories. And when they are national stories, people who are in the middle, redeemable commies, people who can be convinced, those people might finally wake up and say to themselves, oh, hey, that's weird. I wonder if the media has been lying to me. And once truths like that become clear, they have a cascading effect. So here's another truth that may well become clear soon. This Friday, the 19th, the Supreme Court is going to deal with Sidney Powell's case on election fraud. And that might become a legitimate Supreme Court case. It certainly should. The evidence is certainly there. The country certainly needs it to be. And then next Friday, two more cases will be at the Supreme Court. What happens if the Supreme Court takes one of these cases, or two of them, or all three of them? How long will they be able to deny that? Oh, the Supreme Court is taking an election fraud case. That's interesting. Which election was it for? Oh, 2020? That's weird. I screamed at everyone telling them that there was no evidence anywhere of election fraud baseless, baseless claims of election fraud. There's no evidence of widespread election fraud. Okay, there's evidence of election fraud, but not enough to change the outcome. And the election fraud that you're talking about, well, the evidence went to the courts and the courts didn't hear it. Okay. All right, Kami, keep it up. You might have only another four days to go with that, but go with it. Keep pretending Joe Biden is a real legitimate president. Good luck. Now, to the state media. This story has been widely reported, but Julie Kelly in American Greatness is always good. She has a story on it today, or actually yesterday. But The story starts out like this. In a quiet but stunning correction, the New York Times backed away from its original report that Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick was killed by a Trump supporter wielding a fire extinguisher during the January 6th melee at the Capitol building. Shortly after American Greatness published my column Friday that showed how the Times gradually was backpedaling on its January 8th bombshell, the paper posted this caveat. Update. New information has emerged regarding the death of the Capitol Police officer, Brian Sicknick, that questions the initial cause of his death provided by officials close to the Capitol Police. Now, let's just go through this correction before we go any further, okay? New information has emerged. That right there is also a lie. No new information has emerged. The story that they first told was made up. It wasn't information then. It should have never been said to anyone because it's not true 
And they knew it that day. We knew it. We've been saying it the whole time. The New York Times now says new information has emerged. That is not true. Regarding the death of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, there's no new information regarding his death. Again, same thing. That questions the initial cause of his death. It doesn't question it. It says flat out, that's not what happened. That was never what happened. And there was absolutely no proof at any time that Brian Sicknick was killed by having his head beaten in by, with a fire extinguisher by a Trump supporter. That never, ever, ever happened. They took this man knowing that. And don't think for a second, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell did not know. They knew, they pursued the impeachment charge anyway. And let's remember, this is one of the most crucial aspects of that impeachment charge. So much of it was based on the fact that Trump supporters killed a police officer because now they care about police officers. In fact, they gave one a medal the other day. Now, Again, we're not done with this, uh, this little update here. It questioned the initial cause of his death provided by officials close to the Capitol Police, okay? So their initial reporting was from an unnamed source that still remains anonymous, close to the Capitol Police. Is the New York Times trying to say that they didn't have a source at the Capitol Police, in the Capitol Police? They couldn't have questioned that source originally? That source couldn't have told them what was going on with Brian Sicknick. Are we supposed to believe that? So does the New York Times, the paper of record, the most important newspaper anywhere, as defined by the employees of New York Times and the rest of the party of false decorum, They didn't have a source in the Capitol Police. Well, that's amazing. How is that possible? Of course, it's not possible. They just didn't bother using one. And now the blame for this false narrative is being placed on officials close to the Capitol Police. Well, who does that mean? Was it Nancy Pelosi? Was it someone in Nancy Pelosi's office? We already know that Nancy Pelosi was responsible for the fact that there were no more security forces there. The paper continued to revise its story within the body of the original January 8th story. So they've updated more stuff, but the only update there is the one I just read to you, which is just some mealy-mouthed bullshit when they really should be saying, update. Brian Sicknick was not killed by a Trump supporter and was not hit with a fire extinguisher. That should be the update. Law enforcement officials initially said Mr. Sicknick was struck with a fire extinguisher. But weeks later, police sources and investigators were at odds over whether he was hit. Medical experts have said he did not die of blunt force trauma, according to one law enforcement official. Again, not true. There is no evidence anywhere that Brian Sicknick was hit with a fire extinguisher. There was no gash. It's not a question. There's not doubt. And it's not one law enforcement official. Name the person. Be responsible for once, state media. What's missing, however, is how the Times first described what happened to Sicknick. Mr. Sicknick, 42, an officer for the Capitol Police, died on Thursday from brain injuries he sustained after Trump loyalists who overtook the complex struck him in the head with a fire extinguisher, according to two law enforcement officials. 
The account of Sicknick's death was reported as fact, not speculation or rumor. Further, it appears that the anonymous sources were not law enforcement officials, but people close to the police department, which means they could have been anyone from Nancy Pelosi to inveterate liar U.S. Representative Adam Schiff to the Democratic mayor of Washington, D.C., Muriel Bowser. Not only was the Times' untrue story about Sicknick's death accepted as fact by every news media organization, from the Wall Street Journal to the Washington Post, political pundits on the Never Trump right also regurgitated the narrative that Sicknick was murdered, as did lawmakers on both sides. Now, I'm going to leave the article for you to read the rest. American Greatness, Julie Kelly, the New York Times retracts the Sicknick story. But pay attention to what's happened here. The very first day after the impeachment is over, new information emerged. Information that couldn't have been known by anyone involved in the impeachment. Of course. Right? I mean, they said it so many times, the Democrat managers, I mean. They said a police officer was killed. They said it was... Trump supporters who did it, that's what they said. None of that was true, none of it. They lied, they knew they lied. They are liars. Jamie Raskin is a liar and a fraud and a fool. Eric Swalwell was sleeping with a Chinese spy. Stace Card Plaskett received money from Jeffrey Epstein and had a sex tape online and in the video, their child walked into the room. Is that normal to you? It's not normal to me. The Democrat managers were a clown show. And now the story from them is that they gave overwhelming evidence and that it was a moral failing on the Republican side for people to not find Trump guilty. That's a moral failing for Republicans doesn't matter that the Democrats didn't make a case, didn't have evidence, doctored evidence, and failed to prove their case. None of that matters. So Republicans today wrote a letter to Nancy Pelosi about all of this. I'm just going to read the beginning of this because I don't want another extraordinarily long podcast, although it might be. What can I say? Dear Speaker Pelosi, the American people deserve answers to a few straightforward questions regarding the security of the Capitol on January 6th. And now there's five bullet points. One, when then Chief Sund made a request for National Guard support on January 4th, why was that request denied? Great question. Two, did Sergeant at Arms Paul Irving get permission or instruction from your staff on January 4th prior to denying Chief Sun's request for the National Guard. Three, what conversations and what guidance did you and your staff give the Sergeant at Arms leading up to January 6th, specific to the security posture of the campus? Four, what conversations did you have during the attack on the Capitol? And what response did you give security officials on January 6th when Chief Sund requested National Guard support that required your approval. Five, why are your House officers refusing to comply with preservation and production requests to turn over requested materials relevant to the events of January 6th? All of these are excellent questions. Every single one of these by itself would be enough to acquit Donald Trump of that sham impeachment. Every single one of these points the responsibility for the response to the problems at the Capitol. Right at Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Mitch McConnell. They know. Now let's talk about the impeachment, and I'm going to circle back to this, just like Jen Circle Back does. So day five began, everyone was expecting just a vote, and everybody knew what the vote would be. In fact, Blue Anon, the uh, very woke and communist 
media figures, actors, political figures on Twitter started having a meltdown because they knew the case was lost. How did they know? No one had voted yet. Well, if you watch the impeachment, even while lying to yourself, which is the problem here and what makes it so hard to break through these narratives, because usually when they realize they're lying to themselves, they can just plug it like a little leak in a boat. They just plug that up and they keep paddling. Then a different link leak springs up and they plug that one and they keep going. And usually the story has shifted before the boat sinks. That's how they go through these things. And then once it's finally sunk, six weeks or six months or six years later, they pretend none of it ever happened. They say, that's old news. What difference does it make now? But anyone who watched the three, the, the, the middle three days, day two, day three, day four, those were the evidence days where the Democrat managers made their terrible argument over and over and over again. And then Trump's managers came out and destroyed that argument in two and a half hours. At that point, all these people knew deep down they had lost. It doesn't matter how great their case is they, or how great they say it is, I mean. They lost and they knew it. So Saturday morning, they walked in and there was going to maybe be debate and then there would be a vote. And that was going to be it. But Jamie Raskin, Friar Cuck, started out the day talking about how, well, our case was finished, but now new evidence has emerged. And that new evidence is some congresswoman from Washington, Washington State, saying that she heard Kevin McCarthy and Donald Trump had a conversation where Trump seemed uninterested in providing support for the Capitol riot, even knowing that his vice president was in super danger. Not a little bit of a danger. I mean, of course, it's not like he had people around him whose only job was to protect him. Oh, wait, he did have that. And there's also no proof that anyone who entered the Capitol tried to kill anyone or could have tried to kill anyone. They keep telling us there were a thousand armed marauders, simply not true. I guess there was a guy with a baseball bat and another guy with like a nightstick that has a stun capability on it. That's it. But they were going to kill everybody, especially Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence. All of them were just going to be dead and Trump didn't care. That was their story. That new evidence was a story that that particular congresswoman had told for a month. And it said it in the story that Jamie Raskin eventually read into the record. Did he read in evidence and facts? No, he read in a story from CNN. Is that story fact-checked? Like for real, not like the fact-checks they do online. No. Did Kevin McCarthy say it wasn't true and dispute the substance of it? Yes. Did any of them care? Of course not. So they say, Friar Cuck says, that he wants to put that evidence into the record and that he would like to have that congresswoman, Butler or Butler, I'm not sure how she pronounces it. They wanted to have her go on Zoom for an hour's testimony or less, an hour or less. That's all we need to really get to the bottom of this, right? They wanted one witness. And so things kind of fell apart in the chamber and they took a recess so that they could chat about. And over that recess, which stretched 45 minutes or maybe an hour, Ted Cruz said, and Lindsey Graham said, some others said, if you want to have your witness, then we're going to call witnesses. And that's what Trump's attorney said as well. And apparently they already had a list of potential witnesses made up. 
And they said that there were at least 301 of them. There was a photo that emerged, uh, you know, obviously I'm not saying emerged the way the New York Times does. Someone took a picture. Let's put it that way. And on that picture was the front page of the witness list. The first witness was Nancy Pelosi. And then they had the people who were leading the security forces, the people who would have been involved in the decision process that day. They had John Sullivan on there, the Black Lives Matter Antifa domestic terrorist who was responsible for the bulk of the riot. They had Congresswomen like Ayanna Presley, who's part of the squad. And that one is particularly interesting to me because, you know, while they could have simply been questioning her about her statement, there needs to be unrest in the streets as long as there's unrest in our lives. They could have just been asking her about that, or they could have been asking her about the women of the squad and their ties to Black Lives Matter Antifa domestic terrorists because they have them. And any evidentiary hearing about that would show that. And it's not hard to find. It's literally just available on the internet. You can see Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in Zoom conference calls with the Sunrise Movement. This isn't anything unusual for them. And what I'm saying are things I've said before. This isn't shocking. But those are the kinds of people that the defense wanted to call, which would have been awesome. And of course, immediately upon learning this, Friar Cuck and his band of morons then declined to put witnesses in so long as they could read the CNN article into the record, or maybe it was the Washington Post. I don't know. I don't remember. And once he read it into the record, Jamie Raskin assumed that that reading into the record means that this news report was all of a sudden admittedly true. And Trump's defense never did that. And of course they wouldn't. It's a news article. It doesn't mean anything. It's not actual evidence. In hearings, legislators add news articles to the record all the time. They usually do it with unanimous consent. They'll say unanimous consent to add this article into the record. No one stands up and argues. It doesn't mean the thing that they just entered into the record is now just deemed to be the objective truth on the matter, despite how Friar Friar Cuck referred to it. But they did that and they said that that was a big win for them. We don't need witnesses. We just need this in the case. As if that was going to change anybody's votes. They wanted the witness to come in so they could make a spectacle of it. And of course, they wanted to do it on Zoom so that someone could write the answers in a messenger the entire time, as they do with the other hearings and meetings on Zoom. But the defense attorney said there was no chance that they were going to do it by Zoom. They would come in, they would get depositions in his law office as is proper. And then they could resume the case. And they would do that with all the witnesses and then they could resume the impeachment. Because that's how evidence works. That's how due process works. That's how a just and normal system would work. And then they reverted to the argument that Donald Trump should have come in to defend himself. Friar Cuck made this uh, argument. David Cicilline made the argument. They were saying, if I was accused of something like this, the first thing I would want to do is go and testify. Really? Why would you want to go and testify in a case you don't need to testify in when the person presiding over the case is a Democrat senator and proven liars who doctor evidence are going to be the ones doing the cross-examination here. No one would do that. And Friar Cuck and David Cicilline are lying that they would do it. No attorney would ever let their client go in 
and testify in a case against their client when they don't need to have the person do that. And Trump's lawyers knew that they didn't need that because the Democrats had no case. And once again, they were relying entirely on the things that they had written down and their presentation. There was no thought happening. And Congresswoman Dean, at one point, had a slide that she showed. And that slide was immediately objected to and stricken from the record. And once that striking process was over, her next sentence was about the slide that was just stricken from the record. These people are incompetent and dishonest. I mean, thoroughly dishonest, just embarrassing. So the Senate held the vote. Trump was acquitted naturally. The Democrats decided to brag about the fact that they found seven whole Romneys. And apparently that was an accomplishment. You needed 17 out of 50 to become Romneys. And you got seven and called it a success. They had a little press conference afterwards. Nancy Pelosi joined them. Nancy Pelosi went absolutely crazy during this thing because Mitch McConnell had gotten up and talked about how even though Trump was guilty of all this stuff and he may well still be found guilty in a court of law for everything he did as president, McConnell still voted to acquit because the impeachment wasn't in proper form. And of course it wasn't in proper form. Chief Justice John Roberts declined to be there or was unable. Perhaps he was otherwise occupied. He does have problems of his own. But that impeachment was nonsense. That was not an impeachment. Whatever they were trying to do, I have no idea. Apparently they were trying to get Trump out of office right now because they're still pretending that they could have just done a straight up or down vote on the 14th Amendment to prevent him from running in the future. But they didn't choose that option. Why? Either they know that option also could not be successful or it wasn't going to do what they needed it to do. So they pursued impeachment. That's a national disgrace. Democrats should be embarrassed. Instead, they feel empowered to hate Trump supporters and Republicans even more. They think that they are going to go out and primary the guys that stuck with Trump. Good luck. Who are you going to primary them with? Lincoln Project? That would be like Republicans trying to primary AOC. That's not how it works. The Democrats would be primarying AOC if they wanted to. Republicans would just be happy to beat AOC in an election. But we're talking about communists on Twitter. They're not exactly bright. So one of the really interesting things about all of this is that the Democrats may have used their last opportunity to drum up real, genuine Trump hate. Trump however much he is out of office, is being very quiet. And the communist media cannot sustain that because they operate on hate. And if they're not getting anything to create hate with, then they don't really have a whole lot left in their repertoire. And so immediately, as Trump was acquitted, Democrats started spinning new stories about how Trump is in big trouble with state attorneys in New York. Sure he is. Sure he is. Hasn't worked for the last five years. Not at all. But I'm sure you saved your best ammo for last. That's usually how it goes. Right? 
course not. They've gotten more and more and more and more desperate for five straight years. And now they tried to blame Trump for what happened on Capitol Hill. That wasn't him, that they weren't honest about, and that they've already lost an impeachment on. What's next? Where are you going to get the hate from? They can try to frame Trump as a criminal in New York. They can try to drum up different charges here and there and disqualify them however they need. But this truth remains. Donald Trump is more powerful than every single person in elected office right now and maybe more powerful than all of them combined. That's a fact. Donald Trump won the November election. If you don't believe that, I don't know how you're still listening to this podcast. It's clear that he did, and it will be made clear to the whole public. Again, if the Supreme Court so much as takes any of these cases, it's going to be impossible for the communists to still use the same arguments about the legitimacy of their election and the legitimacy of their fake president. And we should laugh at them at every opportunity. The one thing they can't deal with is being made fun of because it strikes to the very heart of their insecurity, which is that they don't know any of these things. If they had the facts, they would be using them rather than censoring and canceling and trying to lock people down and trying to destroy their lives. They don't have the goods. They don't have the facts. They're totally detached from reality. These people are not threats to you individually. They are only threats in the collective, which is why they constantly depend on the collective. All they have are the slogans. They repeat the slogans and they try to dehumanize anyone who doesn't agree with them. Laugh at these people. You don't need to fight them. You don't need to threaten them. And you certainly don't need to even argue with them because they don't know facts and they don't care about arguments. They're not listening. The only thing they care about is being mocked. That's why they get enraged. They know they're stupid. It's not a mystery to them. They just never get called out for it because they have the whole team on their side And they believe that because everyone else like them agrees with them, then they're right. That's not smart. It's just mob power. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is Trump's attorney, uh, Vanderveen. Amazing, the the job that this guy did. And I'm not talking about necessarily the impeachment, although he did a good job. And rather than the fake emotion expressed by Democrats, he actually expressed at points genuine indignation for the absolute farce that he was forced and the country was forced to participate in. But afterward, he did an interview on CBS, and that CBS reporter was trying to reframe the doctoring of the evidence in the tweets that Eric Swalwell presented when he was making his case. She was trying to reframe that as just little things that didn't really change anything. It's not a big deal. And so Vanderveen went off on her about how the only allowable amount of doctored evidence is zero doctored evidence. It's not acceptable on any terms. Any amount of doctored evidence is a fraud. There are actual legal repercussions for that in any venue other than the one we just held our impeachment in. That should bother everybody. How would you feel, Kami, if evidence was doctored in a case against you? And it's amazing how brazen they are about this stuff because so many of these commies with the blue check marks on Twitter actually will be defendants in cases in the near future. 
Will they like it if the evidence is doctored? Thankfully, our side doesn't need to do that because we have facts and we have their own words. These people are so brazen about all of this that they say what they're doing in public. They brag about it. If you could get away with murder and you killed the most people, if that's the sort of society we lived in, then you would probably brag about it too, that you're the best killer. Everyone should be scared of you because you're the best killer. That's what they're doing. They brag about their crimes because they think and know or knew that they would get away with them. I think we can all hope that those days are over. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parlor at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range.